0: knowledge that he owns. But I do want you to know one thing. I consider Dr. McCoy what we call a chiropractic warrior. And what that means is basically he's all in weekend after weekend. (coughs) He gives up time with his family to be elsewhere sharing the knowledge that he owns. And it's not just for the benefit of his company but for the benefit of his profession and the fellow peers, like the peers we have in this room. Like Dr. Davila, the only word out of his mouth is always yes, to support the efforts of this society. And I'm positive he supports many organizations that he believes in, and that's because he's all in, and that's why he's up on this platform because I believe that the knowledge and the information he's gonna share with you (coughs) over the next five hours is gonna benefit your practice and your business in service to your patient communities. It's with honor and pleasure that we welcome back to the FCS platform, Dr. Matthew McCoy, please. Thank you, Dr. I'll come around in just a second and scan all your badges.
1: <coughs> How we doing? Yeah. Doing all right. Very good. How was this morning? Good. good. All right. You met my brother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did he tell you that they thought he was my father in the restaurant? <laughs> In about, I, can, I already know in six years from now, my hair is going to be all gray, because that's how it's worked in my whole family, right? So I have six more years to go, and I'm going to have the same head of hair, so <clears throat> I'm enjoying it while I can. Um, so you had him, right? Uh, you had Davila this morning, yeah. okay? So you guys are probably really pumped up. Right Learning about Medicare and fraud and all that good stuff, right? <clears throat> and now I'm coming in to kick you while you're down, right? <laughs> uh, the reality of it is just the reality of it. you know we uh We do the required stuff, so the topics we talk about don't tend to be you know unicorns and rainbows and all that sort of stuff <clears throat> You know, the work that I do, certainly the work my brother does in law enforcement, the work that Davila does, you know, a lot of it is the seedy underside of the profession, unfortunately, you know, when chiropractors get in trouble and things of that nature. So, you know, how do you put a positive spin on that? I've been doing this long enough that I I try to at least take a different approach to it, try to make it as interesting as possible. You know, we got five hours together this afternoon, so I want to try to keep you awake and engaged. Uh, so I'll do my best to do that. <clears throat> One of the things I think I put it in my slide. Yeah. So I'm I'm certain that Davila talked about this. Davila talked about how chiropractors in florida are getting hit with medicare right a bunch of chiropractors in florida got hit in the past month or so with letters uh... i know a lot in brevard county i know of about a dozen to sixteen fifteen sixteen chiropractors personally who i've been talking to over the past month that got these letters and you know just before we get into all this sort of stuff and, and Believe me, I I know that this is an easy thing for me to stand up here and say to you. I know that the reality of what's on the ground is much more difficult, perhaps. But I just really want to encourage you, and I think you'll probably hear this from some other people maybe tomorrow. I want to encourage you to get out of insurance. You got to get out of it you got to figure out how to get the patient to pay you. You have to figure that out. And and honestly, it's not a big mystery. I mean, I, I know there are some good people out there teaching chiropractors how to do it and how to do it ethically. right? I'm not talking about free chicken dinners and all that bullshit. I'm talking about providing real service and having the patient pay for it. There's people that know how to do that, and there's people doing it out there moving beyond just the third-party pay issue and focusing specifically on government money i would do whatever you can to stop taking money from the united states federal government because of the the nonsense that's going on right medicare stuff now we have um, these whistleblower laws in the federal government um, key tam lawsuits you know so that you can tell on somebody else and then you get a piece of that money right so you think about your staff that's doing your insurance billing and all that kind of stuff meaningful use right some of you may have electronic records and you know you bought your electronic records and maybe you got some money back because you're participating in this meaningful use thing with the United States federal government well you know what the federal government's doing now Is they're going back to all those people they gave money to and doing post payment audits. You know, yeah, thank you very much, Uncle Sam, right? Get out of it. Do whatever you got to do to get out of it. Because that's where the, the bulk of the problems are it's with the third party pay, especially the federal government, okay? We'll talk about where some of the other problems are that you can't avoid even if you're all cash. You know, because some of the, you know, the misunderstandings that chiropractors have about cash, and there's a lot of people, and I don't think the FCS has people speaking that that say these kind of things, but there are a lot of chiropractors out there that talk about cash and, and tell, especially young chiropractors that are in school or just getting out of school that, oh, you know, if you do cash, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about HIPAA. You don't have to worry about records. You know, you know and people believe this nonsense. You know, I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you're dealing with cash, you you know, you still got to st- deal with your state law, and all of the things related to that. You know, um, and then we have issues related to, you know, the attack on subluxation-centered chiropractors and practices. We'll get into that in a little bit, but this Medicare thing. The print's kind of small for you to see, but this is what was in the letter. This is the language that was in all the letters that went to these doctors, right? So it's telling the doctor the reason why they selected you. And Davila might have, did Davila show you this by any chance? I don't know if he went into it, but it's worth repeating. It says the Office of Inspector General report entitled, CMS should use targeted tactics to curb questionable and inappropriate payments for chiropractic services, right? So this is the United States federal government, the Office of Inspector General, saying, let's target chiropractors. Let's figure out the best way to target these people and go get them, right? And the reason they're doing this is because in 2013, 76 million in Medicare payments for chiropractic services were questionable. $76 million. I mean, does anybody know the math on what percentage that is of all Medicare claims, right? It's like 0.00 something, right? I mean, there's a few zeros after that decimal point, right? And they're targeting chiropractors. It's Bullshit. And they they say just 2% of chiropractors are responsible for half of the questionable payments. These chiropractors provided more services to more beneficiaries compared to other chiropractors, right? So if you're a high volume Medicare, heads up they know who you are if you're seeing a lot of medicare patients right you're on their radar screen this is how they're targeting you and we're located in high fraud areas central and south florida are high fraud areas right people that practice in central especially southeast florida Broward and dade county pay more in terms of malpractice rates because chiropractors get sued more in that area right uh, so if you're in a high fraud area, you may be doing everything fine, but you're in a high fraud area, so you could be on the radar screen. Beneficiaries of these chiropractors will more likely to have had paid claims for physical and occupational therapy on the same day, blah, blah, blah. The other thing that I found interesting in looking into this, right, so if you're high volume, you're seeing a lot of Medicare, if you're on a high fraud area, the other issue, and I don't know if Davila mentioned this, is If you have a history with Medicare of not appealing denied claims, did he talk about this, right? So you get a denial from Medicare they decide they're not going to pay you for something, and you ignore it. Big mistake. And and I want to stress with you that this is true even for regular insurance as well. If you get an EOB back, and they tell you that the care you rendered was unreasonable and unnecessary okay please understand what those terms mean all right it means that the charges you billed the patient for were too high okay and the care that you provided wasn't clinically necessary so they're telling you you're commi- in that EOB they're telling you we're not paying you because you just committed insurance fraud and malpractice so we're not paying you and then the chiropractor doesn't respond to that letter. And then if you don't respond to that letter, you know those letters, right, over a period of 1 year, 2 years, 3 years. Now you got a history with Blue Cross and Blue Shield where they've told you your care is not necessary, it's not reasonable. You're not responding to it. So they wait 5 years. Now they got a bunch of claims. And now they do this post payment audit on you and come come after you, right? So Part of the problem with this third party stuff in Medicare is, is the chiropractor is creating the red flag. The chiropractor is saying, Look at me, come and look at my records. You want to avoid that, okay? And unfortunately, one of the reasons you know, that I know <laughs> that chiropractors avoid responding to those letters is because their records suck, okay? I mean we can be honest with each other right I mean I don't you know uh, this is a small group okay I got a little bit of a potty mouth Uh, hopefully I don't offend anybody I'll apologize ahead of time in case I do Um, took a long walk on the beach this morning with my son I brought my son with me this weekend and and I and I just really tried to calm down a little bit because I got to tell you this past month and especially this past week has just been it's been unbelievable in terms of the conversations that I've had with chiropractors and the problems that I've seen them facing. You know, the Medicare stuff is just you know one small slice of what I see on a daily basis. Because remember, I see what happens when good things happen or bad things happen to good people, right? Um, and it's it's amazing to me it's amazing to me how gullible chiropractors are what they will believe when somebody standing in front of them in a room tells them something they just believe it and they don't fact check you have all this stuff politically going on in the profession and people just believe what these political organizations are telling their members, without questioning it, it's really a problem. So, you know, so I know one of the things that that's at issue is, you know, you don't want to take somebody on, you don't want to take on an insurance company, you don't want to go after the denied claim because you don't feel confident about your records. You got to fix those records. You got to figure out how to solve that record keeping problem. And you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to by any means lead anybody to believe that I think that it's an easy thing Um, but if the records are straight then you're gonna be in a better position to duke it out okay and that goes with anything you know one of the things we it's probably in the in the slide here some in the slides here somewhere in terms of you know what causes problems with for chiropractors in terms of complaints and things of that nature and I'll give you an example, and this just came up because so it was a Facebook post on it and people were talking about it. I made the mistake of chiming in. And the chiropractor was complaining about you know, this patient hasn't paid the bill and is going to send them to collections and you know, all these other people are chiming in. Yeah, go get them, you, know, you deserve to be paid, all that sort of stuff. And I'm right there with you. You do, you deserve to be paid. Just make sure your records are perfect before you turn that patient into collections. Because all that patient has to do is file a complaint with the board against you. And the board has to investigate. So the board will ask you for copies of those patients' records. And then based upon those patient records can say, let's see 10 more patient records. Okay. Once that door to your office is kicked open by the board, they can do and ask you for anything they want. And how long is it going to take before a board finds something wrong in your practice if they want to find something wrong in your practice okay now I I think we're a little fortunate in Florida we've got we we have I think some good people on the board I don't think there's anybody on the board who has any ill will Uh, but not all the states are like that I can tell you Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'll show you a couple of cases here of what's going on in some other states where the boards are targeting certain kinds of chiropractors, especially subluxation-centered chiropractors, and going after them and teaching them a lesson and then using those chiropractors as an example for other chiropractors that are practicing that way to say, you know, here, we took their head, put it on a stick and parade it around town. Do you want to be next? So there is some ugly stuff going on out there. By the way, this um, Medicare thing, when this OIG report came out, I'm sure you saw it because it was in the headlines, it was in the newspapers, it was all over the place about how chiropractors are so bad they're ripping off Medicare. So I did a Freedom of Information Act request to the Office of the Inspector General. And I asked for any and all documents related to their review of this, these payments and how they came up with this. Okay and I asked some, you know, I asked some general stuff, but I also asked very specific things because when they did this review, when they did this OIG review, you know, the government and these contractors, okay, they pay chiropractors to review other chiropractors' claims, right, okay? This is the federal government. Think about Freedom of Information, the Freedom of Information Act, okay? So, In their report they're talking about what these reviewers said about chiropractors claims and about their diagnoses and their record-keeping and their physical exam procedures and all this stuff so I'm like well I want to see those reports and I want to know who those chiropractors are that did those reports because we have chiropractors in our profession who are in leadership positions that work for insurance companies and work for the government and do these reviews. And these chiropractors are known to be anti-chiropractic, never mind anti-subluxation. right? So now if you have a chiropractor that is reviewing claims for Medicare and that chiropractor doesn't believe subluxations exist, well, isn't that a problem? Well, guess what the federal government told me? You can't have that. There were about a half a dozen things that I asked for very specific, right? Because I wanted names, right? They wouldn't give it to me. Freedom of information, really. It's bizarre. The other thing, and and I put these in the beginning of the presentation because these are new. This is stuff that just kind of came up since the last time I spoke. So rather than stick them into the presentation, I just put them in the middle, in the front of it. This is another one that's come up just in the past, really six months, but it seems to have gotten some legs. And so we're seeing it more now in the past month. And what this is, are these are letters that attorneys are sending to chiropractors claiming that your website is not ADA compliant. You know, ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, You've heard of that thing, right? They're saying your website is not ADA compliant. Now, I would bet any amount of money that nobody's website in this room is ADA compliant, right? So it's like shooting fish in a barrel, okay? The only thing the attorney needs is a plaintiff, okay? So they get together with a plaintiff who has some disability that would require that, that the website would have to respond to their disability in some way, and then they go after the chiropractor. And they start with just a simple letter like this, right? This one, they're particular, they are focusing on uh, veterans, okay? This was a veteran, the plaintiff was a veteran. And that this attorney even has a website for this, okay? So he's fishing for cases. And so what they're doing, and every case I've seen, pretty much follows this same rote you know, dialogue with this letter from the attorney. And they even write up the lawsuit or the complaint already before they file it. right? So they send you this, and they send you the cover letter saying, if you don't write us a check for $5,000 buy, then we're going to file this lawsuit. And so you got chiropractors forking over this money. okay? This is a weird one because, in a way, it's legitimate. right? You're, according to the law, your website does have to comply with ADA. But nobody's does. How can a website comply with ADA? My understanding of ADA is that you have
2: ramps or that you have
1: uh... What about hearing? You have a video on your website. I can't hear it. Oh, my god. Oh, my god is right. Or blind, they can't see the writing. No, 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 I'm deaf. So the video that you put has to have subtitles, you see, to comply. What about vision? I can't see your website. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could, you know, that somebody could claim. Uh, and the hearing thing is, is, is a common one, not, tr- not really even with websites, but with these people with these disabilities coming into your practice and demanding an interpreter right and interpreters are expensive and if you don't comply with that then you haven't complied with the ada right federal law so you know so attorneys are looking at this as oh, this a cash cow chiropractors are easy let's go after the chiropractors so just heads up if you get one of these letters you know make sure you contact your malpractice insurance company and that goes for anything uh and let's get that out of the way too um, make sure you understand that because you know we're talking about risk management and all this stuff make sure that if you have an incident in your practice okay and and I know what you thinking, well like what's an incident and that's a good question because depending upon your policy you may or may not have coverage for something that happened in your office if you didn't report it as an incident For example, there are some malpractice insurance companies out there, and some of you in here are insured with them, I'm certain of it, that have a clause in their policy that says if you don't report an incident within three days of it happening, you have no coverage. Okay? But what if you didn't know the incident happened? Doesn't matter. Right? The incident had, you find out later, well, the incident happened, well, now it's six months later, well, you didn't report it within three days, you have no coverage. Some of these policies are written in such a way that the legal ease is such that it's just a description of how they're not going to cover you. Okay? So one of the things I will urge you to do when you get back into your office next week is to make sure you pull out a copy of your malpractice policy. Okay? Make sure you have an actual copy of the policy. Okay? Many of you don't. Many of you have a declarations page, the one page thing. that tells you you got coverage that's not your policy you want the actual policy that'll be you know seven to twelve to fifteen pages in length you want a copy of that and you want to read it okay and then you want to compare your policy to others out there in the industry okay as far as we're concerned in Futures, we have no problem with you comparing your coverage to ours okay because we think we got the best that's out there but there are other people who don't want you to compare that policy, because they don't want you to know what you really have. And that what you really have is you have no coverage, OK? Some of these policies are written that way, especially if it's a very pretty cheap policy, OK? If things are cheap, they're probably cheap for a reason. So keep that in mind. Take a look at your policy. Make sure you've got a copy of it. Uh, one, thing, one other thing I'm going to recommend uh, for those of you that like to read is to get a copy of this book it's an awesome book anybody in here have read this book Kahneman's book thinking fast and slow it's don't let the two dimensions fool you it's you know it's about as thick as the Manhattan Yellow Pages uh, it's very detailed it goes into all the science about critical thinking and about how our brains work and you're probably wondering what's relevance to this to chiropractic <laughs> The relevance of this to clinical practice is, and some of you may not want to hear this, but the relevance is that some of you need to slow down a little bit in clinical practice because that's where the mistakes happen, okay? And the way it's tied to this is, you know, evolutionary, from an evolutionary perspective, we had to make decisions quickly, you know, in days gone by. Okay, we didn't have a lot of time to critically evaluate, you know, the saber-toothed tiger coming at us, you know. We had to make decisions quickly, and so our brains and our nervous systems became hardwired to do that, to assess a situation, make an assessment of it, and make a decision as quickly as possible. And Kahneman talks about this as fast and slow thinking. There's another part of the brain that's the slow thinking part. He calls them system one, system two thinking, okay. You have to be very careful about spending too much time in system one thinking, meaning you're just you know, looking at a situation and, and sort of letting your intuition make a judgment about it, as opposed to slowing down, evaluating the situation, and critically thinking about it, and then making a decision. And in terms of what we're going to talk about in this first part of this presentation, you know, the, the, the issue is failure to diagnose. Okay? So if we talk about the, the the malpractice issue of failure to diagnose in terms of you know one of the subcategories of malpractice actions, it's a big one. Okay. It's a big one, and I'm going to flesh this out to show you how just that one topic, failure to diagnose, has so many branches to that tree. Okay. So I just want to encourage you at the outset to just slow down a little bit in terms of clinical thinking and clinical management with your patients and then hopefully over the next you know four hours or so you'll understand why i want you to slow down a little bit the first concept i want to address in this is the concept of triage and for those of you that don't know me you know i grew up in and around this profession i grew up within the straight "Quote unquote" faction of the profession, and that was when the word "straight" meant something. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything anymore, right? Who, who the hell knows what a straight chiropractor is, right? Um, but when I grew up in this profession, early on at a young age, it, you know, it had a meaning. It, it meant something. Okay, so I'm coming from the perspective because I don't want to step on anybody's toes in the next four or five hours. I'm coming from the perspective that. Our reason to be in chiropractic is the vertebral subluxation, that that is our unique strategic competitive advantage. This is what makes us unique from a marketing perspective. Okay? Just think about this from a marketing perspective. And please understand that I'm not saying that if you do something else in your practice that you're a bad person. I'm not one of those people. I don't care what you do in your practice. I'm looking at this from a pragmatic perspective okay in terms of the future of a profession okay because we can do whatever we want within the scope of practice in the state where we practice and Florida has a very broad scope so you can do a lot of things in the state of Florida you can't deliver babies you can't prescribe drugs yet and you can't treat infectious disease you can't do surgery i mean there's four or five things you can't do but if you look at the law in the state of florida you can diagnose and treat every disease in the merck manual except for those three or four exceptions you got it you just can't treat them using drugs or surgery you can use any other available means to you okay does that mean that's something we should do as a profession okay is is exercise a unique strategic competitive advantage for the chiropractic profession? Is diet and nutrition a strategic competitive advantage for the chiropractic profession? I mean, they're not. There's other professions who specialize in those things, right? People go to school and get PhDs in exercise physiology, become clinical you know, exercise uh, therapists, that type of thing, right? People get degrees in physical therapy and, and all that sort of stuff but what makes us unique? The only thing that makes us unique as a profession is this, that's it, right? That's not an, there's nothing to argue about with that. That's, that's what makes us unique. And again, not, nothing wrong with you if you're doing those things, but let's look at this from you know, six generations down the road. Okay? Not just what are you gonna get out of this during your time in this profession, okay? Is this profession going to exist six generations from now? Will there be a need for us? I mean, if we're doing all these things that other people are doing, what are we we needed for? You know, and I've never, what I've never been able to wrap my head around and nobody's ever been able to give me a a good enough answer or response to sort of put it to bed for me. So I walk around with this in the back of my head. You you, You think about the average graduate today. The average student coming out of college, and there might be a few of you who haven't been out of school too long. Looks like most of you may have been out of school a while. Let's understand, though, that the average chiropractic college graduate is leaving that institution with $250,000 worth of student loan debt. $250,000, that's average, okay? So there are some students leaving with $350,000, $300,000, okay? but the average is about a quarter of a million dollars. And so these students get into chiropractic college, you know, at 19, 20 years old, because somebody told them they should be a chiropractor. They spend, they might spend four years undergrad, get an undergraduate degree, another four years to become a chiropractor, okay? Pass four parts of national board exams, a jurisprudence exam in the state where they wanna practice, borrow another $100,000 $150,000 if they're lucky to open up a practice, right? And God forbid they're married to another chiropractor who just graduated, right? Now they have a combined debt of half a million. They'd want to buy a house. That's another $200,000. They want to buy a practice. That's another $200,000. They're a million dollars in debt, and they haven't seen their first patient yet, OK? And then they're going into the marketplace because They've been taught right that chiropractic is adjustments, subluxation, but it's also exercise, diet, positive mental attitude, right? Sleep, get, get a good night's sleep. What's unique about any of those things except for subluxation? In fact, when you think about it, who in their right mind would spend eight years, get $300,000 dollars in debt? pass four parts of national board's exams, jurisprudence exam to do something that somebody with no license and no education can do. You don't need a license to teach people how to exercise. You don't need a degree to teach people what nutrition to do. You don't need anything. You could be a high school dropout and go open up a business and do those things. And and guess what? Medicare is not going to come after you. The state board is not going to come after you because you don't have a license it makes no sense this is how far afield our profession has gone this is the state of the chiropractic profession at this point it's absurd now if you told me that oh you know listen I'm gonna go become a chiropractor because there is this thing called a vertebral subluxation it makes people sick and it kills them we're the only profession that knows how to find them and correct them so we have a unique strategic competitive advantage Well, okay. now we have something to talk about. So please understand where I'm coming from with this as we go through the afternoon. So if we're talking about triage, yes, sir? Sure. Uh, is sure. Is that kind of the thing? Is, it, is
2: there a, is there a, man, what, proper term, I guess, the mandate, law, regulation, other than that,
1: ADA says that all websites will be ADA compliant? It's a federal law. It's a federal law. So everything in this country, all businesses and everything, are subject to that federal law.
2: And so that that federal law specifically addresses
1: domains? Yes. And says these are the benchmarks for them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has a whole list of criteria. Yeah, if you go <laughs> on and look at it. Yeah, and in terms of the targeting thing, I mean, look, if you don't know this, I'll tell you now that there are attorneys out there who, who target you. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is, right? There are attorneys that we'll talk about, we'll, we're going to leave stroke for this afternoon. That'll be the last thing I talk about because <laughs> I know you're all thrilled to have a discussion about stroke today on this fine uh, Friday afternoon. Um, but there are chiropractors, I mean, there are attorneys who have, uh, there's this one guy in Tennessee, I'll use as an example. He, so he, what he did was he hired a, a news person, you know, somebody that does the news, but they also freelance. I don't know if you know this, right? But there's there's people who do the news, like on local news shows, Fox News, and so forth, so, so forth that are local. But they also do freelance stuff. So that, you know they're for hire to do other stuff. So th- this attorney hired this person, this woman, to do a fake news story, okay, on chiropractic and stroke, and to interview him as the attorney for it, okay. And then he put it on TV and he put it on YouTube and put it on the internet right fishing for clients okay fishing for patients who went to the chiropractor and sometime after that visit to the chiropractor had a stroke or a dissection and said whoa well we got ourselves a case here this is what they're doing right in connecticut a few years ago they were putting it on bus ads have you been injured by a chiropractor okay we got one in georgia the name of his law firm is actually MyBaldLawyer.com, right? Because his unique strategic competitive advantage is he's bald, right? And that's what he's got on his billboard, his big bald head, MyBaldLawyer.com, right? Have you been injured? Give us a call. So, yeah, they're definitely targeting people. So the question here is a triage question. And this question from a a differential diagnosis perspective, does this patient belong in my office right now is a question that you need to be asking about every patient on every visit every time, okay? And and I know you know this, but I need to give you a kick in the pants on this because what happens is, if you go back to thinking fast and slow, what happens is if you, if you are learning a skill, right, and somebody's teaching you a skill, and there's a part of that skill, that procedure, that, I don't know, maybe you find it boring, maybe you don't find it interesting. You know, my son, right? My son is eight years old. He's in uh, second grade. He's, he's struggling a little bit. Right? He, was, he, he spent the first 18 months of his life in a Russian orphanage, so he's a little behind. Okay? And there are things he just doesn't like about school. Right? He doesn't like math. And so we're struggling with this, with math. Right? And one of the things I've come to find out as I've gotten more involved in why he's struggling with math is that he hasn't mastered some of the basics somehow in kindergarten or first grade he got pushed along and hey mom and dad didn't see it okay but he's not like you know waking up in the morning and say hey you know i'm really struggling with you know subtraction and what do, how do i carry that in one you know and that's kind of he's not doing that right as soon as he hears the word math he's like running away from us right he has an aversion to learning this particular skill. Well, in some cases, chiropractors have an aversion to the differential diagnostic process, okay? And this is especially true in the straight community, okay? But what that means is you may have not learned one or more of the crucial steps necessary in the process of differential diagnosis, okay? And so if you went through school and you didn't learn it, then you went into practice and you applied what you did know, but you left out these other things, and then you continued to do it for two years, for three years, for five years, for seven, for 10, for 20, for 30, for 35, for 40, right? Because a lot of times what happens, you know, we get the old-timers, oh, what's this young punk going to teach me? I've been doing this for 30 years, you know? Yeah, well, you've been doing it wrong for 30 years, sorry to tell you that's what this young punk is gonna tell you because I see you when bad things happen to good people right and I don't want bad things to happen to you okay so what I'm suggesting is that some of you may need to slow down because there may be some skills that you didn't fully learn or develop okay and in my experience, the number one of those things is the concept of triage. Okay? Does this patient on this visit sitting in front of me belong in my office right now? Or do they belong someplace else? Do they belong someplace else entirely? Do they belong in my office and someplace else? Do they belong someplace else right now, and then they can come back to my office? You see what I'm getting at, right? These are all the things that have to be going through your mind in this differential diagnostic process, and the first step is triage, okay? So if you are a subluxation-focused chiropractor, let's say you are, you know, I'm talking about the tunnel vision. I see nothing but subluxation. I don't want to know about nothing else. If you are that, you know, rabid type of, subluxation centered chiropractor this still applies to you because no matter what even as a rabid subluxation centered chiropractor you don't want this patient to get hurt okay and you certainly don't want to get blamed for them being hurt and let's understand that we have all kinds of shades of gray with this because we have people in our profession Who let's let's use cancer as an example, right? Because cancer should be in your differentials when somebody comes in complaining of, you know, neck pain, back pain, that sort of thing, right? It's got to be in your differentials as a possibility. Neoplasm. But let's say that you know you feel like, hey, you know, that whole cancer industry is just a scam, and I don't want my patients to have chemotherapy or radiation because that's what's going to kill them. So I'm not going to send them anywhere. I hear you. I agree with you on the whole, you know, cancer, medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex and all that kind of stuff, but unfortunately, that ain't your decision. That's the patient's decision, not yours, right? And it's a fool's errand for you to put your life at risk for that person because if if you have that attitude and they end up someplace else and the diagnosis ends up being cancer you're gonna get sued and now it affects your livelihood now it affects your children right it affects your trip to France or whatever it happens to be right because it's gonna cost you money okay it's certainly going to cost you more in terms of malpractice coverage and that sort of thing. You may not be able to get malpractice insurance on the open market. You may have to go through Lloyd's of London or something like that and pay ten dollars or twelve dollars or $15,000 a year for malpractice insurance from that point on. You may end up getting reported to the state board. Get your, get your license taken away. Okay. So all of that can be avoided through the concept of triage. Okay? But the key here is that that question, this triage issue, never ends. And where it becomes difficult is for the subluxation-centered family chiropractor who wants to take care of people cradle to grave, Okay, Because that patient's not coming in for just 12 visits, 15 visits, 20, 30, 100, 300. They're coming in from the time they're in their mother's womb until they die, right? I mean, that's the goal, right? Every man, woman, and child done the chiropractic care from cradle to grave. That should be our goal. Make sure pe- these people are not living lives that are, you know, being viewed through a subluxated lens. Okay? But this triage thing has to occur even after 10 years that that patient's been coming in once a month to get their spine checked. Well, this time they come in, you know, listen, you've been seeing it for 20 years. Things happen across the lifespan right and if you're just thinking oh it's just a routine visit but this time it's not well you could get dinged for that okay so the concept of triage this is where our cultural authority comes from okay this is what we should be focusing on now the reality is and I'll get into this more in the next session but the reality is that we have leaders within the profession we have organizations within the profession we have state boards across this country and across the world who think anybody who's running after subluxation is an idiot. There are people that say it doesn't exist, okay? is an organization in this state. This is the president of the Florida Chiropractic Physicians Association, which, by the way, is the largest chiropractic association in the state of Florida they want to bring drugs in the profession right here's what the president just recently said about subluxation subluxation is an unproven myth that is an inappropriate inclusion in any chiropractic education the term subluxation shall be considered by all authorities outside of the chiropractic community as a myth and therefore an inappropriate standard and is contrary to evidence-based practice the largest association in the state of Florida The other association in the state of Florida, the FCA, now they haven't come right out and said they want drugs in the profession, but they believe chiropractors are primary care physicians. And this is the other thing that you all have to grapple with, okay? Whether you like it or not, agree with it or not, is a moot point, apart from whether or not you're gonna get politically involved to do something about it, but the reality is that The schools train primary care physicians in order for any school in this country in the United States to be accredited by the Council on chiropractic education they must train chiropractors as primary health care providers okay and let's understand something there is a difference between a primary health care provider and a portal of entry provider Okay, a lot of chiropractors don't realize that. Okay, portal of entry does not necessarily mean primary care. Okay, an optometrist is not a primary care provider, but they're portal of entry, right? You don't need a referral to see an optometrist, unless you got some kind of wacky health plan or something like that. Okay. So our educational institutions are training primary care physicians, and the CC has a monopoly on this because in order to get licensed in any state in this country except for maybe a half a dozen states, you must graduate from a CCE accredited institution. So it's a monopoly on the educational licensing functions of the entire chiropractic profession. So now you're out there doing your thing. Let's say you're fine analyzing, correcting, subluxation, but you practice in a state that has embraced this concept of primary care, which most of them have. And they look at you and they say, well, you're practicing below the standard of care. Because you're just focusing on this little subluxation thing, and hell, those things don't even exist. This is what's going on in this country, across the country, on many of these different state board levels. Okay, You may not see it because it's not your business to see it. I see it day in and day out. This is the stuff that's going on. So in Florida, the FCA is really pushing this primary care thing as if they need it, as if the law in Florida isn't broad enough, right? But they wanted to specifically, they wanted to have the word primary care in it because their belief is, well, if primary care is that, that word is actually in there, that's going to open up uh, more coding to us. That's going to open up more acceptance to us, right? That's going to bring more money to us if we can be considered that. And this is another one of those things that I just can't wrap my head around. Only a chiropractor, right? Think about this for a second. Only a chiropractor would want to be the least paid and have the most responsibility in healthcare. Because that's what a primary care provider does, right? Primary care provider is responsible for everything with a patient, everything. If that patient goes to a specialist, and let's say they went to an orthopedist, and the primary care provider thought, yeah, I'm sending them to the orthopedist because I think they need an MRI, and that orthopedist doesn't order the MRI, primary care provider's responsibility is pick up the phone and say, yo, Mr. Orthopedist, how come you didn't order that MRI? One of the attributes of primary care is to advocate for the needs of the patient, okay? And one of the other attributes of primary care is comprehensiveness of service. All right. And if you look in the literature on this relative to primary care, it talks about a primary care provider being able to manage and treat most of the conditions that patients present with most of the time. Okay? I so I the, uh, practice says that that's not even allowed. That what is it? Treating all of those conditions they only have. Exactly. Yeah. So what, the, what, these, what these, you know, uh, 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 I was going to say something nasty. Uh, what our esteemed leadership in the profession says is that we're going to create a new kind of primary care. They want to create a new kind of primary care provider, right? Primary care without drugs, without surgery, and all this other stuff. I, you know, maybe in 200 years that'll come about. It's not coming about in our lifetime, that's for sure. So we've got to struggle with this primary care issue. <clears throat> I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, right? Chiropractors love to bash medicine. I think we need to spend more time building the tallest building in town rather than going around tearing everybody else's down, but, you know, that's just my opinion. The bottom line is iatrogenesis, right, seeing a doctor kills a lot of people every year okay they even wrote a book about it the Institute of Medicine that's what they named it we, we kill three-quarters of a million people a year but you know shit happens I mean that, it could have just that could have been the title of the book to errors human right aka shit happens <clears throat> types of errors right this is from that report the Institute of Medicine report. It, you know gives you all the different types of medical errors that happen The one we're going to focus on has to do with diagnosis, failure to diagnose, failure to employ indicated tests, failure to act on results of monitoring or testing and things of that nature. Okay? So that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time on. The number one of these issues right now in the chiropractic landscape is stroke. I know you know about it, I know you've heard about it, I know you've had more people than you care to remember talk to you about it and try to scare the bejesus out of your relative to stroke, but that's good because it's a big problem. And and I will tell you from experience, I've been doing expert witness malpractice work for almost 30 years now, okay? And I can tell you that in terms of claims That you don't want to get, you don't want a stroke claim. You don't want a stroke claim, and you don't want something to happen to a pregnant woman in your practice. Everything else, you know, you can miss cancer, I mean, that's pretty bad too. But stroke and and problems with pregnant women are two things. You don't want that problem, okay? Because that's going to hang over your head. For three, five, six, seven years before that case plays out, you're going to have to live with that. Okay? It's not like breaking somebody's rib or burning them with a hot pack or something like that, where it's cut and dried, pay the claim, move on. Right? These claims are going to suck you dry for everything they got. Okay? But we're going to save that for the last thing we talk about. Yep. What kind of issues Hold on. We're going to get. That's one of the ones we're going to talk about. <laughs> relative to this stroke and dissection issue, right? And and I'll get into this more later. You all know, right, that the big buzzword these days is inflammation, right? Inflammation causes everything, right? Inflammation is now being implicated in Alzheimer's disease, neurodegenerative disorders, diabetes, everything, cardiovascular stuff, right? You need to understand that these people are walking into your office every day. Monday morning, you're back in your office. These people are coming in. Okay, I I refer to these people now as walking, talking bags of inflammation. Right? They are about to pop. They're about to. You can look at them, and you look, oh, man, you look like you're about to explode, because that's literally what's happening in their body. You do not want that to happen in your office. It's going to happen to them. You just don't want it to happen in your office. And if it happens in your office, make sure it happens in the waiting room before they come into the back. Okay, right? Well, we can be real with each other, right? Like Joan Rivers, right? Can we talk? <clears throat> so think about the range of risk when we're talking about failure to diagnose. Right? We've got stroke and dissection. Put those on the back burner. We'll get to those in a little bit. Let's talk about some of the other common things. <clears throat> Disk problems. OK? This is your bread and butter, people coming into you with neck pain, back pain. Let me ask you all something. How do you know whether or not the person that's in your office complaining of neck and/ or back pain, how do you know whether or not they got a disc problem? How do you know? how can you know an MRI right let me ask you something can you push on somebody's head and lift their leg and determine beyond a shadow of a doubt no disc problem or yes this problem anybody in here think they can do that you can't right don't raise your hand because you can't okay you can get some clinical information to move you closer to or further away from that diagnosis but you can't know whether there's a disc herniation in there or not, unless you do the appropriate imaging. And the appropriate imaging is an MRI, OK? And here's where I don't want anybody to go with this, OK? Because I know, it's all right, I, can, I can hear the, the gears grinding right now back there in the room, right? Oh, you know I insurance won't pay their primary care won't order it and it's not your problem that's why you need to go cash because you have to stop taking on the problems of your paid the financial problems of your patients okay your responsibility as a doctor is to tell them what's in the best interest of their health okay and yes I agree with you that or I might agree with you in some instances that you don't need an MRI to document the disc injury because maybe what you're going to do isn't going to be any different. But that doesn't matter. And it's not going to matter to the 12 people who couldn't get out of jury duty. You understand? Because the people that are going to testify on the stand are going to say that the standard of care to diagnose disc injury or disc involvement is an MRI. And then it's going to be, well, doctor, why didn't you order the MRI? So the patient comes in to see you. You examine them. You take some x-rays. Maybe there's some DJD in their spine. Maybe there isn't. You think, oh, this is my bread and butter. They're subluxated. I'm going to start adjusting them. You adjust them for one week, two weeks. Something happens. Nothing happens. They end up in an orthopedist office, or they end up in the emergency room. And just think about the line of questioning, right? the, the intake nurse. Oh, so, uh, how long have you had this? Who you been seeing for this? Oh, I've been going to the chiropractor. And what's the chiropractor been doing? Oh, he's been cracking my neck. Chiropractors cracking their neck. And are you getting better or worse since you've been going to the chiropractor? Well, I've been getting worse. Getting worse since seeing the chiropractor. Now the attending physician comes in, oh, I see you've been going to the chiropractor, he's cracking your neck, and now it's getting worse. This is all now documented in the medical record. What is the ER physician going to do? It's going to order an MRI. What's the orthopedist going to do? It's going to order an MRI. How come the chiropractor didn't order an MRI? You with me on this? Yes, sir. How do you either recommend or order an MRI and if the patient just refuses? Great question. Great question. So, and this comes up in a number of areas, right? Not just MRI, it could be x-rays, right? Patient comes in, you do your thing, and you say, listen, Mary, we need to take some x-rays of your neck. And Mary says, oh, no, I don't want any x-rays. Medicare won't pay for them. My insurance company won't pay for them. I don't want x rays. I've had too many x rays in my life, right? Meanwhile, you know, she's smoking like a chimney and, you know, breathing this air, but she's had too many x rays, you know. This is a crucial decision point for you as a doctor. You have recommended something to a patient. Okay, it's your management. I recommended x rays. Patient says they don't want x rays. Okay, so you, you know you think about an algorithm or a decision tree, right? Let's say you make the decision to see them, treat them without the X-ray. Now you say, "Okay, you don't want X-rays. I'll treat you anyway." Forget about all the medical malpractice liability you just took on. Forget about that for a second. What did you do to your credibility? You flushed it down the toilet. You told the patient in one breath. You need these x-rays. Patient said, I don't want them. You said, okay, I'll treat you anyway. Oh, I I see how this works. He says I need something. I say I don't want it and I don't have to get it. So now when you say I need to see you three times a week for the next four weeks, patient says, I didn't need those x-rays. I'll come twice a week. And the chiropractor says, okay. If you recommend something to the patient, and the patient doesn't follow your recommendations, then depending upon the, you know, the severity of the thing you're recommending or how important that thing is, then you don't see that patient anymore because it's gonna be hard for you to backpedal out of that in your deposition, right? Well, let me understand this doctor. You you thought the patient needed x-rays. Why did you think the patient needed x-rays, right? So he's gonna get you into a whole differential diagnosis chain of questions. What would you poss- could you have possibly been trying to rule out? Well, you're going to have to say cancer, fracture, infection, right? But you didn't take those x rays, turned out she had cancer. And you adjusted in the area where she had that cancer. You, you follow me with this, right? So the same thing goes with the MRI, okay? I would be really careful. And I'm, I'm giving you some latitude on this, and I, I really don't think I should, but I would be really careful about continuing to manage somebody who's not following your recommendations. Because that person, especially if it's a new patient, that person's going to be a pain in your ass every time they come in. They're not going to listen to anything you say, especially if you reinforce to them that you don't, they don't need to listen to what you say. Okay? Yeah.
2: and say, hey, what are you other, and you get the kickback from it, and so what I've done to cover my behind is I've gone ahead and written up the order form, and I scanned it and put it in my chart, file, whatever,
1: handed it to the patient. Uh, so, so far, so good.
2: fax it to the center that I use or one of the ones that I use. Um is there an issue with the HIPAA thing? If I tell them I want to do an MRI, I'm gonna order it, I'm gonna send it over to them, they're gonna call you and schedule when they when the patient has said I don't want it
1: or any of that other stuff. I mean all of that should be covered in your business associates, you know, part of HIPAA. So I mean it, it that HIPAA is HIPAA's the least of your worries with that. Right. Um the the issue is I mean there's two issues. One is what's in the best interest of the patient, and the other is how do you protect yourself, right? So let me let me backtrack because we're going to get to this later even with with the uh, stroke issue, so let me just talk about it now. My recommendation, first and foremost, is that you develop close relationships, with a bunch of medical providers in your community, okay? The whole spectrum of specialists, primary care, the whole thing, right? And and I mean close relationships, where this person knows, you guys know each other. They know you don't have horns and a tail, okay? You know that if you send a patient to them, they got your back, okay, and vice versa, all right? As opposed to, you know, you don't want to get involved in any of that, so you let the patient, you know, pick, pick some doctor random. That's the worst thing you could possibly do, right? So you want to have some control over where that patient's going, who they're seeing, okay? That would be ideal. In this situation, you're talking about TRICARE and some of these other things, you may not have any of that control, right? But what you can do in those situations is you can put that other provider, primary care specialist or otherwise unnoticed through a letter, certified mail saying, this is what's going on. This is what I recommend. Ball's in your court. You got the hot potato now. So if something happens to that patient, they're not coming to you. They're going to the orthopedist now. And he's going to see that and he's going like, to oh, shit. Yeah, that's kind of how I right now, instead of the certified letter, are you okay with that As long as you can document that 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 thing was sent and it was received I keep the transmittals in the that's fine okay. yeah now the the uh, the last piece of that though is now what do you do right because now we're still back to you said they need an MRI they're not getting it do I continue to see this patient okay. so if- and, and and the only thing I the only way I can possibly give you any direction on that is to to really just literally put yourself in a deposition. And think about the questions they're going to ask you about why you continue to see that person when you said they needed an MRI. And this is what the attorney is going to be doing. He's going to be hitting his finger on the desk like this, asking you that question. Because he's going to be trying to see how you're going to react to that question when you're on the stand in front of 12 people who couldn't get out of jury duty. right so that's the only way I can really help you with that because I you know listen I get it you're in practice you got these people you you know this is your livelihood this is how you make money you could continue to treat them maybe everything will be fine without the MRI it really you know it's a risk management issue right that's why these classes are called risk management you're managing your risk the reality of this is You cannot avoid risk. None of us can. I mean, think about it, think about this. Think about where we are right now. We're we're sitting here in in this room, okay? We're on the ground floor. We're being held to the planet Earth by the law of gravity, right? The Earth is rotating on its axis, okay? It's revolving around the sun. I don't know how fast it's going, but we're going pretty fast, right? We're in a solar system, right, with nine other planets, if we still count Pluto. That solar system is part of a galaxy, okay, spinning around at God only knows what speed. There's all kinds of things floating around there in space that are on trajectories to hit us, right? And we're mapping those things, okay? You cannot avoid risk. These walking, talking bags of inflammation are going to come walking in your office on Monday. You can't avoid that. But you can manage it. You can make a conscious decision, right, as a free, critical thinking human being on this planet to decide what risk you want in your life and what risk you don't want in your life, Okay. Most of the time, in my experience, chiropractors are putting themselves at risk because they need the money. And they're putting themselves at risk because of that. And this is why I started out this whole thing by saying, get out of the insurance business. Make the contract between you and your patient, try to get that contract as clean and as clear as possible, that they are responsible for their health care, not you, not the federal government, not Medicare, not Medicaid, not anybody else, right? Easier said than done, I understand. But I guarantee you, there's people out there that can teach you how to do it, no doubt about it. So that's this stuff, children. I'll go through this a little quick because this one's obvious. Just understand with children that that child retains their right to sue you until their age of consent. I don't know what it is in Florida, it's probably 18. Some states it's 16, you know, it just depends. Plus the statute of limitations in that state. So let's say the age of consent is 18 in Florida. I'm just making it up, but I think that's what it is. I think the statute of limitations to file a lawsuit is three years in Florida, so 18, 19, 20, 21. So they can sue you until they're 21 years of age, okay? There's also some caveats that they may continue to be able to sue you if they didn't find out that what you did caused them harm until sometime later. You see what I'm saying, right? So the clock might start running on the statute of limitations when the person finds out Oh, it was because of what this doctor did or didn't do, okay? Why am I bringing this up? Because we have a lot of chiropractors out there and I'm seeing these claims where these kids have some pretty significant scoliosis and the chiropractor says, I can help you with that and doesn't and they end up having surgery, okay? And the orthopedist says to mom and dad, had this been caught sooner, The outcome would have been better right it's not our fault that we couldn't get a better correction it's that crazy chiropractor you were bringing your kid to for six months or a year or whatever it happened to be okay so even though the parents don't sue you understand that that child someday can all right and chances are you may not even have those records by the time that happens right so just keep that in mind with children school and sports physicals Some of you may be doing school and sports physicals. Again, risk management. Think about the risk. Okay, My son is eight years old. He plays organized sports, basketball, soccer, the whole nine yards, right? What are we most concerned about with children in terms of pre-participation physicals? What are we most concerned about? What's that? No. What's that? Concussion baseline? No. Hearts. Mm -hmm. Talking about things that can kill them, right? We're talking about, you know, the little eight-year-old that goes out in the soccer field and has an undiagnosed heart defect or heart problem and drops dead on the soccer field. Just had one of these not too long ago. Okay? Chiropractor did the sports physical. Did not catch it. so listen, I'm not, you know, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade and, you know, be be the bad guy. Okay, because I understand that you like to do these sports physicals because they're good marketing things and you get back to your community and all that other kind of stuff, right? So all I'm telling you is that if you're going to do them, when you do them, listen very carefully to their tiny little hearts, Okay. Because if you're the last person that examined their cardiovascular system, when they drop dead, guess who's in big trouble? And that case is never going to see the inside of a courtroom. You're going to settle for the limits of your malpractice policy, and then some for the rest of your professional career. That's how that case is going to settle, Okay. You can do these things. I mean, but really, I I mean, how many of you really feel competent to put a stethoscope on a child's chest and listen to that heart and know whether or not everything is okay or not? Maybe some of you do. So be careful with those. Spinal screenings. Another area chiropractors get in trouble with. Understand that anytime you interact with somebody, and start taking anything that resembles a history. You have formed a doctor-patient relationship. Period. End of story. No, there, again, this is something like you know. I love things in chiropractic. With no, I can say there's no debate about this. I mean, there's always chiropractors that want to debate those things, but there's no debate about it, right? You all have heard the story how many times, you know, you're on the golf course with your buddy and you oh, my shoulder this, and you start talking to him, asking questions about his shoulder. Well, you've developed a doctor-patient relationship, right? This used to happen to me all the time for 18 years teaching at Life University, right, because I taught diagnosis and management and final year chiropractic students, so they all thought I was some genius, right? And they all come to me after class and tell me all their symptoms. And I got this and I got that. As soon as they started, ah, timeout, ah, ah, ah. I'm not your doctor. Stop telling me your symptoms. And then I would document that I told them I'm not your doctor and told them to go see their doctor. Right? I'm not taking on that risk. Why would I do that? Have to be out of my mind. You need to do the same thing. Be careful about it. Make sure you understand in those screenings, you know, because there are some chiropractors that think they're clever, so they give these, you know, informed consents that tell the person in the screening that, oh, this isn't for diagnostic purpose. That's not a get agile free card. It's not worth the paper it's written on. Okay? So be careful with those. And and God Almighty, please don't adjust these people at your spinal screening. I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, you're, you're out, it's 90 degrees out, you're at an outdoor fair, and, and you're adjusting people out in the open. I mean, anybody ever see a proctologist out there at these fairs doing proctology screenings or removing polyps? I mean, come on, a screening is a screening. Vaccination. What time is it? time again what time 328 okay time flies when you're having fun I'm not going to get through all this Uh, vaccination let's talk about this here let's deal with reality in Florida agree or don't you can as a chiropractic physician licensed by the board of chiropractic medicine in the state of Florida you can exempt somebody from immunization. Here's the paperwork. Okay? Why on God's green earth any of you would want to put your name at the bottom of that form, I don't get it. I just don't get it. You understand the level of risk you're taking on by signing one of these forms? You know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. I would stay as far away from it as possible. I would stay as far away from the vaccination discussion with my patients as humanly possible, right? Beyond the basics, saying, here's a website. Here are some books. Leave it at that, okay? Because here's what's happening. Because vaccination has become such a hot topic, I can't, I, I've I lost count on, on the number of complaints in the state of California with all the nonsense that went on out there. So all these parents started filing complaints against chiropractors who were coercing them or threatening them or scaring them not to have their children vaccinated so they were filing complaints with the board. It's not a good thing, right? And if you read the law in the state, and this goes for any state, as a chiropractor, you are required to uphold public health recommendations, not advise against them. You understand what I'm saying here? You have broad responsibilities when it comes to public health as a chiropractor. In every state in this country, some states are e- even more so, and Florida is one of them. Florida is very broad. You know, when you think about scope of practice, or you want to understand how broad the scope of practice is for chiropractic in the state of Florida, look in the law for what it says about public health measures and sanitary measures everything under the sun you know i have a master's degree in public health so i have some concept of what falls under public health it's vast okay but in those laws it's pro-vaccine isn't it and then you come along and say no no you shouldn't have those things i mean think about the risk you're putting yourself at i mean i'm with you okay i'm not a vaccine proponent i'm about autonomy I want to be able to make an autonomous decision about what I put into my body or my children's body. It's, it, that's what I'm concerned about. I don't get into these ridiculous arguments that chiropractors get into on Facebook or with anybody else about whether vaccines work or don't work. That is the most ridiculous argument to even get into. It's just ridiculous. Just stick with whether we have the right to personal autonomy. That's all freedom of choice stick to that and you don't have to get into any of the other nonsense but that's not what chiropractors want to do so I'd be careful about that right this is from the Texas Chiropractic Association this was in their newsletter promoting vaccination you know this is what chiropractors do they want to promote this stuff they want to fight about chemtrails and GMOs and Monsanto and the you know the fact that all these multinationals, six multinationals control all the consumer products. I mean, this is the stuff chiropractors want to get all up in arms about, right? We have this thing called a vertebral subluxation that makes people sick and kill them, but we don't, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about GMOs and chemtrails. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> pregnant patients. I said I would get to pregnant patients. Let me cut to the chase with this let's understand that in every state in this country you cannot practice obstetrics as a chiropractor period end of story is one state oregon you can deliver babies but you got to go 600 more hours and pass the test and submit to the board and all that stuff okay but that's the only state in every other state it's an exception to the practice act you cannot practice obstetrics okay Every malpractice policy that's written by any company doing business in, the, in this profession, if you go look at your policy, you will see in the exclusion sections of, this, of your policy, we don't cover obstetrics. Okay, So you understand that, right? Now understand that if you take your two hands and you place them on the belly of a pregnant woman to determine the position of the fetus, you have practiced obstetrics. Are you with me? Got it? Don't practice obstetrics. Don't determine the position of the baby. That's the obstetrician's job, not yours. Okay? Don't tell a woman that you're going to turn her baby. Don't put on your website that you're the queen of turning babies. Okay? Don't mention anything about your adjustment affecting that unborn fetus you're you're just I mean it's like it's shooting fish in a barrel it's it's easy these cases for them right we have to defend them so just be careful about that stuff okay you can do Webster's okay but Webster's is not a breach turning technique don't call it that okay wellness patients continuing to treat membership practices non-therapeutic care primary care versus poor of entry let's uh try to wind this up uh, talking about these, okay? I'm gonna talk about this in sort of a broad category. So this is having to do with, and I don't know if there's any of you in the room, but this is the chiropractor who has, you know, any or all of these, okay? Usually they, they're, it's all of them in one package, right? They have a membership practice, so the patient pays a set fee either for themselves or their whole family to come in, Unlimited care to fixed fee, it used to be called, right back in the Mercedes 80s in chiropractic. <clears throat> Some of you are around then. Membership practice, a lot of times they say they practice non therapeutic care, okay? And we don't have nearly enough time to get into what that is or what that isn't. Uh, or wellness patients and that kind of stuff. Here's what's going on out there, okay? Because the boards are controlled by the chiropractic cartel, okay? This is the chiropractic cartel that has a monopoly on all the licensing and educational regulatory functions of the entire profession, right? That cartel is moving the profession and has been for the past couple of decades, moving them into the practice of primary care with the end result wanting to be primary care physicians and be able to prescribe drugs, okay? This is the movement in the profession. It's actively underway. Chiropractors can already prescribe drugs in New Mexico. There are 19 other states with an active agenda to get drug prescriptive rights for chiropractors that we know about, okay? So this is the movement of the cartel in the profession. That cartel does not want a chiropractor to be able to practice a narrow scope, okay? They don't want that. So in some of these states where these boards have run amok, they are going after those kind of chiropractors and targeting them. And it's easy to do, you just wait for their ads. You will look for their Facebook ad, or their, you know, Penny Saver ad, or their ad in the local newspaper, however they do it. You see them at a spinal screening, somebody turns them in, and then they go after them. This is an example of one of these, this is an active case right now. I won't tell you what state it's in. This is the, from the board and these are the charges against the chiropractor. The chiropractor has a membership practice, says he does non-therapeutic care in a wellness model. They say the doctor has failed to conform to the standards of acceptable care for examination and diagnosis and for chiropractic-adjusted procedures in violation of the statute, and then they list them. He takes no vital signs on patients. His physical examination is limited to the identification of spinal subluxation. He does not record a diagnosis other than spinal subluxation for any patient. He performs spinal manipulations on all patients without first documenting the need for such treatment. He allows patients to determine the number and frequency of spinal manipulations they receive, thereby abdicating his professional responsibility to develop treatment plans tailored to the needs of individual patients. They're saying the board is saying you can't just let somebody come in whenever they want to. You have to tell them when to come in and when not to come in, okay? These are the charges against this chiropractor. They're reviewing the law in the state. The law states that not rendering acceptable care in the practice of the profession shall be a basis for the imposition of disciplinary sanctions. The standard of acceptable care for exam and diagnosis for chiropractic adjustments shall be the usual and customary methods as taught in the majority of recognized chiropractic colleges. You understand I just explained to you that the chiropractic colleges are training primary care physicians. Okay. The majority of recognized chiropractic colleges teach that vital signs are revealing indicators of patients overall health and should be taken during the initial exam and routinely thereafter. So understand the boards are saying you should be taking vital signs, certainly on your new patients, if not throughout their management. Majority of recognized colleges teach that chiropractic physicians should perform an initial exam that is sufficiently comprehensive to allow the physician to reasonably assess whether the patient's injury or condition can be treated successfully through chiropractic care, i.e., you must render a differential diagnosis. He's saying you cannot restrict your practice to the analysis and location of vertebral subluxation. Majority of schools teach that chiropractic physicians should identify through palpation, neurological orthopedic testing, x rays, blah, blah, blah and documented through the examination process. Now here's the funny thing, and it's not really funny, it's actually very sad. This is the actual text of the law in that state. This is the text of the law. This is the statute, okay? Definitions of chiropractic. Chiropractic is and defined to be the science of adjusting the cause of disease by realigning the spine, releasing pressure on nerves, radiating from the spine to all parts of the body, and allowing the nerves to carry their full quota of health current, nerve energy, from the brain to all parts of the body. You get it? The board is saying you can't practice to that scope. It's the same state. At the hearing with this kid, and this kid's only five years out of school, at the hearing, the chairman of the board, right? So you know this kid's sitting here with his attorney on one side. On the other side's the attorney with the attorney for the board. And the chairman leans over at the beginning and opens up the hearing by telling this kid, said, we've seen many like you before, and we've shut them down, and we're going to shut you down too. This is what they told this kid. I wouldn't honestly have believed it if the attorney for this kid hadn't said yeah no that's really what he said because the attorney couldn't believe it you know and then the attorney's like what's going on in your profession had to explain the whole thing to him here's the saddest I don't know if this is the saddest part of it but this kid because he's not insured with us I'm just helping him out he's insured with another insurance company he didn't provide three days Uh, an incident report within three days to his malpractice carrier that he had this problem with the board, so he has no coverage, right? Thank you very much, right? And if I told you who the guy is that runs this insurance company, you'd be sickened that this person is held in the esteem he is in this profession, and throwing these people under the bus because of this clause in their malpractice policy so they don't have to cover it, right? I mean, this company runs a full page ad. In Dynamic Chiropractic, it's always on the last page. And they are so proud to have one of the five things in their bulleted list of how great they are that they've never lost a case in court. Never lost a case in court. How is that freaking possible? How is it possible to never lose a case in court if you're a malpractice insurer, insuring thousands of people? you'd never get to court. How do you never get to court? You don't cover the claim. <clears throat> I said I'd talk about primary care I was on that issue to tie us together. I need you to understand that this whole issue of drugs and chiropractic is a red herring. Because if you're paying attention to anything in the politics, I mean, you'd really have to be living like in Osama bin Laden's cave in Afghanistan not to know that drugs is what everybody's talking about in the chiropractic profession, right? On both sides of the profession, right? I mean, if you're not paying attention politically in chiropractic, then you wouldn't know that, but that's the hot topic. Everybody's focused on drugs, even on the state, on the straight side. It's like, oh, we got to keep the drugs out. Drugs are red herring. Drugs are not the issue. Primary care is the issue, right? But on both sides of the profession, they're trying to divert your attention from the primary care issue because both sides want it. And it's the worst possible outcome for this profession, right? The least paid with the most responsibility in healthcare. Why would you want that? Wouldn't it be better to say we are specialists in the location analysis and correction of vertebral subluxation? There's no other profession on this planet that does this right a specialist higher fees hello mcfly i mean is anybody even paying attention critical thinking right this is why i want you to read kahneman's book people get up here and tell you stuff you got to think is does this make any sense yes sir absolutely right it's part it's the reason why we have a crisis in healthcare. Uh, listen i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with primary health care providers we need primary health care providers no question about that it's part of the crisis in healthcare. but i don't want to be one uh, they're not pushing us into anything we are we are we are fighting to get into that role they don't want us to be primary care physicians right, the AMA has a whole program about keeping non-physician providers from using the term physician. They have a whole legislative agenda on this, right? They don't want nurses doing it. They don't want psychologists doing it. They don't want chiropractors doing it. They are the physicians. And when you think about it, right, I mean, what's the standard for training a primary care physician? Medicine. I mean, who who could do you think you could convince that has the ability to think critically, that because you went to school for three and a half years, okay, three and a half years, that you have the same ability as a primary care physician who went to school for twelve years, did a residency, did rotations. Oh, but you know, but I stayed in a Holiday Inn, you know. I mean that's the best we could say it's absurd these are the attributes of primary care accountability you're accountable for everything that happens with that patient accessibility accessibility 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year this isn't the world according to McCoy okay These are the attributes of primary care. Coordination. You are responsible as a primary care provider to coordinate the patient's care with all of their other health care providers. Comprehensiveness, I already addressed that issue. You need to have the ability to treat most of the conditions, most of the time that patients present with, and most of the time, those conditions are going to require drugs, right? World Health Organization says there are essential drugs, essential, that's the word they use, that primary health care providers need to be able to prescribe, like antibiotics, right? Continuity of care, you know, patient needs continuity, needs to have somebody that they can always come back to that manages them. Those are the attributes. All right, let's see quickly all the non-therapeutic stuff. Just wanna see if there was anything else I wanted to touch on. All right, that's good enough. Let's take that break. How long, Craig?
0: About 20 minutes. 20 minutes.